Our second reading this morning is taken from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1, verses 1 to 10. And that can be found on page 1186 of your Pew Bibles. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before God and our Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. In 2001, Manchester United were about to play their Champions League match. So, of course, they took a team photo just before the match, and it looked like this. Carl Powell was very keen to get in the photo. He had one problem, he was not part of the team. But he made sure he looked the part. He walked onto the field, stood beside the other players. I wonder whether you can tell which one is Carl Power. No, it's not the one in black, that's the goalie. And if he dressed in black, that would have been a giveaway. You only have one goalie. Carl is the one standing a little bit apart. And just after the photo was taken, none of the players realised during the photo. None of them spoke to each other about it. They looked around after the photo and realised, hey, you're not one of the players. In fact, there's supposed to be 11, not 12. And Carl made a run for it. As you'd imagine, with something so important as Manchester United, a nationwide manhunt was begun. Eventually, he was exposed by a media outlet. This was not Carl Power's only adventure. When England was playing Australia at Headingley, 
He walked out fully clothed with a helmet on and only when he took off his helmet was he discovered. As Michael Shoemaker was about to walk onto the podium and receive the winner's whatever it is in the British Grand Prix, he was there first. How do you know if someone is the real deal, the genuine article? We deal with this question almost every day when we receive our emails and our text messages. Is this real? Is this legit? Or is this spam? But sometimes it's more serious than this, more complicated, uh, because these days our society thinks that if you identify as something, if you identify as someone, then you really are that someone. I had that on a medical form this week. Which gender do you identify with? But more serious, more significant than that even, what about belonging to Jesus? Is there such a thing as the real deal? And if there is, how do you tell? Paul says to the Thessalonians, we're on page 1186, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We might say, those who belong to Jesus. How do you know if you, how do you know if someone else, how do you know if a church is the real deal? Is it simply that you identify in this way? Or is there a reality and you actually can know? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul says to the Thessalonians, we know, we know that you are the real deal. And his words this morning are going to encourage us or perhaps challenge us. Point one, knowing that God has chosen you. Verse four, for we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen these words are very simple, but they are very controversial. Does God really choose some people and not others? How could that be loving and fair? Why would he not choose everyone? Surely it's just that the Thessalonians chose to respond. Perhaps God is simply recognising those who respond to him. Mostly we just think this is too hard to understand. But the verses, the words are very clear, aren't they? Verse 4. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. Here God is not being reactive. God chose you because you chose him. No, he is being proactive. We know you've been chosen by God because his word came to you with his power. He brought it about. So whoever we might feel, whatever questions we might have, the Bible is clear on this point. God freely chooses people. And he chooses people not on the basis of anything to do with them. Verse 2 it is by grace. Verse 10, these Thessalonians deserved the coming wrath 
just as much as everyone else in town. Yet God chose to love them. Clearly, there is such a thing as the real deal when it comes to belonging to Jesus, for God chooses people to belong to Jesus. It is not just who, how you identify yourself. It is not just I think a Christian is. It is not just that you look like a Christian. God determines who is the real deal. Paul says, knowing that God has chosen you. But how is it that Paul knows this? How can he be so sure about the Thessalonians? Point two, knowing that God has chosen you because you welcomed the word. Verse five, you know how we lived among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. We saw last week that Paul dared to tell them his gospel in spite of strong opposition. He told them that God is not an idol. There is one true and living God, and he sent his king to suffer and arise from the dead, and Jesus is this king. You must turn to him from idols. Most people in Thessalonica heard this and thought it was complete rubbish. Some people listened and understood, but then rejected it. Like the path and the rocky soil and the thorns in Jesus' parable of the soils, the human heart is hard, and the word usually does not produce fruit. But for these Thessalonians, they'd even heard about the riot in the town before. They'd heard Paul warn them that the same thing could happen again and that they could suffer as well. Yet, in spite of severe suffering, they welcomed the word with joy. How could that have happened? What on earth would cause that to come about? Verse 5, the word came with power, with the spirit, and with deep conviction. The only logical explanation is that God had chosen them. Sarkash, not his real name, came from a Hindu background. He worked as a driver and as part of his work happened to end up at a Christian gathering in India. The speaker talked about sin and repentance. He talked about the Lord Jesus. And Sarkash says, when I returned to my hometown, full of Hindus like himself, I began attending a weekly youth meeting and received Christ as my saviour. He's now a pastor with the India Gospel League There are 80 believers in his church. How was it that he and those 80 believers welcomed the word? It could only be because God had chosen them and brought it about. There's great encouragement here to speak the word about Jesus. For it's necessary The Thessalonians only came to belong to Jesus by welcoming the word. And you cannot welcome the word unless someone speaks the word to you. The reality is that no one belongs to Jesus because of the family background they're from. 
their culture, their race, or their ethnicity. Even the children of Christian parents do not become Christians merely by being the children of those parents. They are created by God's word. The word is necessary. And it's powerful. Some people think that if you think people will only welcome the word if God has chosen them, then you won't bother to speak. But the opposite is true. If God had not chosen anyone, no one would welcome the word. Human hearts are that hard. But when you know that God has chosen some you know that some will respond. That's an encouragement, isn't it? That's why we bother investing in children's ministry and in evangelising newcomers like we've just done. That's why we bother talking to our neighbours about Jesus, our family members, our friends, and yes, our children. There's encouragement here. And there's a challenge There is such a thing as the real deal when it comes to belonging to Jesus. Paul says, I know you've been chosen by God because you welcomed the word. And so the word says to us this morning, have you welcomed the word? It's possible to grow up in the church, especially at a time a while back when everyone sort of belonged to the church. It's possible to come and be part of our gathering because you feel welcomed here. It's possible, like Karl Power, to look the part. If that's you this morning, I'm so glad you're here. I hope that you're eager to find out more. I hope that you'll keep coming, that you'll join the next Alpha course. I hope that you'll ask someone to read the word with you. Have you welcomed the word? Paul knows that God has chosen them because they welcomed the word, but they did more than just welcome it. They acted on it. Point three. And turned to serve and to wait. We saw last week what an extraordinary change had happened in these people. Verse nine. You turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. They changed their belief. They really believed in these things called idols. And they heard this word that those idols they had always trusted in and everyone around them trusted in were false. That there was a true and living God who was angry at the fact that people worshipped idols but whose son had paid for that anger and would one day return and bring that anger against those who worship idols but rescue those who trusted him. They heard that word and they changed their belief. But they didn't just change their belief. They changed how they lived. They turned to serve the true and living God. They used to have gone to the temple. They would bow down to the idols. They would offer prayers to them. They would offer sacrifices. Some of them would engage in temple prostitution to please those idols. In all of their life, they would often talk about the idols and how important they were. And, of course, they would declare their allegiance to the emperor 
who after all was a god as well. But now they had turned to serve. They no longer went to a temple. There was no temple if you belonged to Jesus. There were no longer sacrifices that they gave and they most certainly weren't going to the temple prostitutes. No, they would now avoid all sexual immorality. They loved one another. They helped the weak. They had completely changed. And they even spoke about Jesus. They turned to serve and they turned to wait. Oh yes, they used to wait when they worshipped idols. You would offer your sacrifice and wait for the harvest to be a good one this year. Now they waited for God's Son from heaven and they endured suffering. They grieved with hope and they lived self-controlled lives. Paul sums it up in verse 2. Your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Calvin said, we are saved by faith alone, but true faith is never alone. And it was most certainly not alone in their case. It was obvious to everyone. Verse 7, they became a model and everyone was talking At our 5.30 service this year, once a month, we've been hearing someone's story. Their story of how they heard the word, welcomed the word, and turned to serve and to wait. It's been wonderful hearing the stories. Some people heard the word from their parents, some didn't. They heard it rather from their colleagues at work or their youth leaders, and they turned. They turned from the idols of popularity and education and career and money and now they serve the true and living God and they wait for his son from heaven. It'd be great to hear some stories like that in our congregation. Paul says we know that God has chosen you because you welcomed his word and turned from idols to serve and to wait. So I want to ask you this morning not just have you welcomed the word But have you changed? Can you see that you've turned from idols to serve the living and true God? Can you see that you are waiting for his son from heaven? If you're really not sure what that means, or if you're holding back from that change, then please do talk to someone this morning about it. Paul says, we know that God has chosen you because you welcomed the word. And you turn to serve and to wait. Sometimes we say that you can never really know if someone is really a Christian. After all, people can identify as Christians and they can look like Christians. And after all, who are we to judge? There's some truth in that. Only God knows who he has chosen. He doesn't publish a list. And only God knows the human heart. But also, it is not just who you identify as. It is not just who you look like. People have been chosen by God. And it shows in what they do. And so when we see people who have welcomed the message with joy, when we see that people have turned from serving idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, then as much as you can ever know a person, you can know. You can know that they've been chosen 
by God. You can know that about yourself. Or what do you do when you know someone is the real deal? You yourself or someone else or a church? Point four, so we continually remember and give thanks. You can tell what that paragraph is about, can't you? Verses four to ten, Paul says it in the very first few words. It's about knowing. We know, says Paul, something about you, the Thessalonians. And chapter 2, verse 1, in contrast, you know something about us. We'll see that next week. We know that God has chosen you. That's the point of the paragraph. But in the Bible, knowing something is never an end in itself. You can see that in that first word of verse 4. Four. This paragraph is the basis, the foundation, the reason for what came before. Actually, the word for is not there in the original, but the word no is not a verb, but a participle. It's an ing word. Knowing, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. And what do you do when you see an ing word? An ing word hangs off a verb that has come before. Paul does something because he is knowing something. And so you look back, verse 3. He remembers. That too is an ing word, a participle, as it turns out. He remembers, and the remembering causes him to, verse 2, thank God. Just as an aside... When we remember things, and it's good to remember things, photos are great for that, aren't they? When we remember things, the point of remembering is to thank the person who has given them to us. I often remember good things from the past, and I'm inclined to dwell on them and that they've gone. Paul shows us here, we remember in order to thank the giver. We know, says Paul, that you've been chosen by God. He wants them to be reassured that they are the real deal. But most of all, he wants them to know that he thanks God for them. We continually remember that you've been chosen by God, and so we thank God for you. It seems to me that we love to remember extraordinary people of the past. Have you noticed that? The Apostle Paul, the Thessalonians, Threlkeld that I mentioned last week who cared for the Aboriginal people early on. We have plaques around our church. We love to read biographies of extraordinary people and we thank God for them. Do we do that for the people we know? Have you ever been to a funeral? And you've known the person a little, but as you listen to the eulogies, you find out more about them. Have you had that experience? And it's such a joy to find out things about them, and it's such a joy to hear people express their appreciation for them. Of course, the ideal eulogy actually expresses that appreciation and gives thanks to God for it and says how we can grieve with hope. 
I wish I had a dollar for every time after a funeral service that someone says to me, it was wonderful to hear those eulogies. If only we did that while the person was still alive. Have you ever felt like that at a funeral? They didn't get to hear it. Well, that's just what Paul does here, isn't it? He continually remembers God's work in their lives. His continual remembering causes him to give thanks to God in the presence of God. And he even tells them about it. I wonder, is it part of your daily prayer life to give thanks for the Christians you know and God's work in their lives? I wonder, as you turn up to church here on a Sunday morning and you see the people gathered around you, as you come in, as you sit gather together, do you remember and give thanks for God's work in people's lives? And even better than that, do you do what Paul does? Do you tell them? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that in your kindness, you not only send out your word about the Lord Jesus, but you even choose people to respond Father, without that, none of us would respond for our hearts are hard. Father, we thank you for the Thessalonians and that Paul could be sure that you had chosen them because they welcomed the word and turned to you. Father, help us to be encouraged. Father, help us to reflect and be challenged to ask the question, do we belong to Jesus and Father, as we see your work in other people's lives, a work that only you could do, help us to remember continually, to give thanks continually, and even have the courage to express that to other people. We pray this in Jesus' name.